Dreams speak in the language of symbols, but they also speak through evoking emotions, and that's one of the ways they convince us of their importance, even if we aren't sure exactly what they mean. In this episode, we'll look at four dreams with important emotional components in order to learn dream interpretation by actually doing it. From dreams of musicians to birds in trees, munching on kittens to ice castles in the sky, I'll show you how to make sense of the language of dreams. Hello, and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm Amy Lawson, and my goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more meaningful way so you can interpret the messages your unconscious is sending. I'm sure you've had the experience of some kind of strong emotion in a dream, whether positive or negative. Some dreams make us really happy and feel blissful. Some dreams are terrifying. Some dreams make us sad, make us fearful, make us angry. And sometimes I think that the dreams are really picking the imagery and bringing the message in order to cause that kind of emotion for some reason to get our attention. So let's get to our first dream. Again, most of the dreams that I use are from Reddit, and I do have permission from the dreamers to use these in my podcast. So here's the dream. I had a pretty dark phase of life a few years ago. Music had really helped me, and I got really, really emotionally attached to some artists. I considered them as my role models, but lately I've been having dreams where they're around me, not as their usual artist selves, but whenever they're around me, I just burst out crying in my dreams. Like tonight, singer A was singing a song, not like a concert, but more like a group of friends sitting together and singing, and I couldn't help myself and burst into tears. I don't usually remember much of my dreams, but I remember feeling a hug. Similar scenarios have happened with three other of my role model musicians, even when they weren't singing. It's really difficult to understand these dreams. I really feel that getting overwhelmed and crying in my dreams, but I just fail to understand why this is happening multiple times and why do I always cry. That's the dream. So you see why I chose this dream for as far as evoking emotion, because that's really the dreamer's main question. Why do I keep having these dreams that make me cry? But when I read this dream, it didn't really feel like a negative dream to me, even though there was crying. So one of the ways that C.G. Jung suggested that we approach dreams is to ask, what conscious attitude is this dream compensating We talked a little bit in previous episodes about the fact that dreams are compensatory, meaning when the unconscious senses some kind of one-sidedness in our conscious self or in our conscious ego, it will send us messages to try to balance that one-sidedness in the other direction. And so that was a really useful question for me to ask about this dream because I see this dream as really supportive. I see this dream as the dreamer surrounded by these artists and musicians that meant something to her in a very emotional phase of her life. For a lot of people, music really has that ability to connect us with our emotions in a way that words or images don't always do. And in this dream, these musicians that had meant a lot to her are surrounding her. They're in a living room together, hanging out like friends and singing together. This is definitely an image of support to me. And so I think this dream has a double layer of meaning, really, as as do many dreams, because these musicians in real life were supportive figures to her. But also, if we look at the dream in that Jungian sense of all the other dream characters are parts of the dreamer's psyche rather than external real people, 
these musicians could represent supportive parts of her psyche. We all have unconscious parts of ourselves that we don't normally connect with. That's why they're in the unconscious. And so to me, these dreams that she's having are incredibly supportive messages from her unconscious to remind her that there are these deeper parts of herself that love her, support her, help to connect her back to her emotions. I think it's that feeling of relief and support that's making her cry. I think that our connection with those deeper parts of ourself is often really beautiful but can seem overwhelming because it's like we know they're real. We can sense them inside us even if we can't directly talk to them. And those feelings of love and affection that we're able to sense can make us cry. This dream did get posted during the time of the pandemic. And so in these weird times of disconnection and quarantine, I think this is a really understandable dream. To get back to what conscious attitude this could be compensating, my suspicion is that the dreamer has these dreams when she's feeling particularly disconnected or vulnerable or unsupported. And so her unconscious is sending her that message in compensation of, look, not only are there external resources when you listen to this music, when you connect with these artists that can help lift you up, but remember there are parts of yourself that also love and support you and have your best interests at heart. I think this dream is her inner self telling her that it has her back. It's trying to provide her what she needs and compensate for something that it thinks that she's lacking at the time of the dream. So that's the interpretation that I gave. And the feedback that I got was, that was amazing. I knew it had something to do with something deep down. And although I cried, it felt like that good cry. It never felt like it was the shadow or the unconscious or a dark part of my personality. So that explains it really well. So then I was glad that my gut feeling was right, that this dream evoked strong emotion and even crying. But really, deep down, it's a positive dream of support. That reminds me of the time when I said to my husband, I need to find something sad to watch. I just feel like I need a good cry. And he looked at me and continued, said no man ever. <laughs> He's really not sexist, but he just doesn't understand why I need to cry sometimes. So, um, yeah, anyway, dreamer, I understand you. I asked Scott if I was allowed to make fun of him on my podcast, and he said that he was willing to be a sexist for comedic purposes. So I have his permission. There you go. However, he stopped telling me his dreams a while ago after I think I gave him some information that maybe was a little too much or something. I don't know. Now he just tells me that he doesn't remember his dreams anymore, but I'm suspicious. However, he does like to trot me out as a carnival sideshow at our dinner parties and make me interpret other people's dreams. So he is in favor of this, just not when it hits too close to home, I think. Okay, enough asides. Let's move on. Next, I want to tell you about a series of two dreams that I was sent. This dreamer said, A couple of dreams that have stuck with me for some time were from several years ago when I was in an extremely unhealthy relationship with someone I ended up having to cut out of my life altogether. The first starts with me in the kitchen looking out the glass window into the backyard. It was extremely bright outside, like when a video has too much exposure. I stepped out and walked underneath the 50-foot juniper we had out there. I stood by the trunk and looked straight up. There were hundreds of beautiful songbirds, all singing and all different colors. Then I looked to the other end of the yard where the dead cottonwood stood. There was a huge raven at the top. 
I walked toward the other tree and raised my hand out for it to perch. It flew down, was solid black with one huge white feather in its tail. It looks at me and says something, but its voice is so muffled that I can't even understand it, and then I wake up. The dreamer has already given us the hint that she thinks these dreams are something to do with her unhealthy relationship. And so we can use that in our interpretation. I include this dream because there are images to interpret, but also it really evokes emotion for me. The main dream image and contradiction is the juniper tree full of hundreds of colorful songbirds. And then at the other end of the yard, a dead cottonwood tree with one huge raven at the top. Those are such contrasting images that they immediately, for me, evoke like happiness and promise and possibility of these warbling songbirds who are all the colors of the rainbow in this huge green tree versus a dead tree that only has one big blackbird in it. And, you know, ravens have the connotation of being bad omens. There's the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Raven. Sometimes they're seen as harbingers of doom or death or bad news. And at this point in her life, she can't access the songbirds in the tree. They're really far up above and they don't really communicate with her other than she can, you know, hear all their songs. But when she signals to the raven, it does come down and sit on her arm and try to talk to her. But I think it's also an important point that its voice is so muffled she can't really understand it. So whatever part of that unhealthy relationship this raven is representing, it's saying that it's hard to talk to, it's hard to communicate with. The images also seem opposite in feeling. There's like a lightness versus a heaviness, right? The tree full of tons of songbirds feels light and spiritual and joyful, whereas this dead tree with this big, heavy black bird feels much more... It feels grounded, but it feels weighted. It feels heavy to me. And so if you had a dream where there were obviously, you know, two different choices and you had to choose one or you had to decide which one you were closer to, you can see why the unconscious might choose these kind of symbols to try to guide you one way or the other. Because it seems obvious that she's equating the raven with whoever this person was. And the fact that the raven was in the dead tree, I think, is her unconscious giving her an extra nudge about the fact that, that this relationship isn't living, it's not vibrant, it's not growing. It's just a dead tree. However, it is nice that the positive image of the songbirds was there. I mean, she couldn't reach it yet. The songbirds were too high up in the tree, but they were still present. So to me, that still gives some inkling of possibility. And then the next dream she sent me from that time in her life is the following. I'm walking along a dirt path in the woods. It starts to get steep with the sun peeking through the foliage along the horizon at the crest of the hill. On the right side of the path are towering pines, and on the left, an unending wall of red brick that reached as tall as the trees. I get to the top of the hill and see the path abruptly ends on a cliff overlooking a vast lake. There's a huge bridge running straight through it, with a train chugging along it. The sun is setting, a cool breeze blows at me, filling my lungs with an intensely crisp breath. Then I wake up. So again, we have contrasting images in the dream. On her right side, there's a wall of trees, towering pines, and on the left side, a big red brick wall. So we have something heavy and man-made versus 
something that's still a barrier on the other side of the path, but it's living and beautiful. Either way, she's hemmed in on both sides and is following the path. But then when the path ends at the top of the hill, it ends at a cliff and she can see like this wide vista now. She can see the lake. She can see the bridge running straight across the lake and a train chugging along it. And remember, lakes, water, ocean is often the unconscious. And this image of a bridge with a train chugging along the the edge of the unconscious seems like a lot of possibility to me. She's on top of the hill. She can't quite see how to get off the cliff. The path seems to have ended, but yet her unconscious is showing her this image that really just seems positive and hopeful, right? It sounds beautiful the way she writes about it. She says the sun is setting, so it's sunset. There's a cool breeze. She feels an intensely crisp breath in her lungs. So I think the message of this dream was, at the moment, you're still feeling hemmed in. There's not great options on either side. You have to keep following the path. But look at what's at the end of the path. Look how much possibility there's going to be, even if the present seems hard. Sometimes paying attention to the progression of dreams, even if they're not specifically the same recurring dream, can really tell you about your psyche and what's getting integrated and what's changing. Because to me, the first dream felt even a little more dark and bleak with the dead tree and the raven. The second dream still felt a little bit confining, but there was a lot more possibility in this big vista over the lake to me. So, and it sounds like after that, she was able to extricate herself from this relationship and get on with her life. We'll do a whole episode on the importance of recurring dreams and paying attention to how dreams change in the future. So stay tuned for that. Okay, next I'm going to tell you about one of my dreams that evoked emotion, I think, in order to shock me. And then we'll meet a guest and talk about one of his dreams. Here's my dream. I'm a guest at a high school graduation that is taking place on a rooftop. I have some sort of fat green reptile in my backpack that I'm taking care of like a pet. It has a wide flat head that I think is cute. I'm eating parts of a black kitten for a snack, which seems normal in the dream, and it tastes fine. I realize I better find something for my pet to eat, the lizard, and I move to get it out of my bag, hoping that he hasn't peed in it. Then I think I see him in a litter box behind me, but I realize in shock that it's not him, it's the black kitten that I was eating, which is still alive somehow and has crawled over there even though it doesn't have all its legs anymore. I start crying because I thought it was dead and instead I feel like I made it suffer more. I wake up really sad and appalled. Yikes, why am I telling you this dream? I, I promise I've never eaten a cat in real life. I'm a cat person, but I think this is a good example of a dream that really wanted to evoke strong emotions for me by shocking me with this image that I was eating a cat. Let's go back to the beginning and, and take this apart. So first, the setting of the dream. Often, remember, the location of a dream can give us some, some clues because the geographic location or the building gives us an idea of how our psyche is symbolizing itself right now. So I'm a guest at a high school graduation that's taking place on a rooftop, and I remember that it's nighttime. So I'm on top of a really tall building, and that feels like elevation. It could even mean inflation, like I'm too tall, I'm trying to be too big. It definitely feels like I'm. it's telling me that I'm up in my head, definitely up in the conscious ego and not down in the depths or even down on the ground or underground, which would be closer to the unconscious. 
So I already think that the dream is showing me some kind of one-sidedness that way. And then I have this fat green reptile in my backpack that I'm keeping as a pet. I have this image of kind of like an iguana, but like with a wider, flatter head and it's lime green and it seems cute to me. And then contrast that with the next image, which is that I'm eating the legs off of a black kitten for a snack. But that feels normal in the dream. It feels okay. I even remember that it tasted okay. I just thought it was this like dead, dried cat or something. And, you know, dream rules are different. So that wasn't the part that evoked the shock for me. But there's still a contrast there. I'm taking care of this weird, green, cold-blooded reptile as a pet and keeping it with me in my backpack. But I'm willing to eat a little black kitten, which I would usually, in waking life, think was way cuter than a reptile. So already the dream is telling me something about maybe my priorities are wrong. Reptiles are more primitive, so they can represent older, more primitive, or more childlike, or less developed parts of ourselves. So I think this is probably about me caring for a primitive reptilian part of me while callously consuming some other part of me that's represented by the kitten. So let's get more information about that. I need to find something for my lizard to eat, and so I go get him out of my bag. I think I see him maybe in a litter box behind me, but then I realize that it's the black kitten who's in the litter box, and it's still alive and has dragged itself over there by its front legs in order to try to use the litter box. Oh, this is a terrible image. I hope I'm not scarring you. I'm sorry. But that's the point that really shocks me. In the dream, it wasn't that I was eating the cat. That felt pretty normal. But the fact that the cat was alive and that it's still willing to try to go and do its business in the right place in her litter box, even though it's hard for it to drag itself over there, there's something really heartbreaking for me about that. So in the dream, I start crying because I thought the cat was dead. And now I know that I, you know, inflicted more suffering on it instead. And that's the point where I wake up. So I really thought about my associations with cats and tried to figure out what part of myself this kitten is representing. In my real life, I've always had cats. I love cats. They are warm and comforting. They're kind of physical and sensual. I love to feel, you know, they're purring and stroke their fur. They're really loving and comforting for me. So I think that's why my psyche chose this image in particular to shock me. If there was anything that I was going to purposely cause to suffer, a cat would be one of the worst things to me. And then thinking more about what cats can symbolize. I mean, there's a big range you know, if you look up cat in some kind of dream dictionary, which I'm not a fan of those because I think they make everything too black and white, but there's a lot of different things that cats can mean. I actually have images of cats in my dreams pretty often, so I've done some research and thought a lot about what it means for me. Cats are often seen as representing the feminine side of us, whereas dogs are more masculine more straightforward, more action-oriented. And cats can be more feminine, more... They can be nurturing and mothering and take care of their kittens, but they can also be more aggressive or more aloof. When we think not of 
domestic cats, but of big cats like lions and tigers, that's a symbol of the really aggressive, wild, feminine nature. As an aside, if anybody watched Tiger King, that show was a mess, but it was very archetypal and I couldn't watch it without seeing a lot of the depth psychology in it. So if you're interested, my next guest and I actually did an episode on his podcast where we analyzed Tiger King and all of its major players in a depth psychological way. His podcast is on Podbean, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, but uh, the title of it is Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. That's his podcast title. And then you can just search for the Tiger King episode that was a few weeks back. Came out pretty entertaining, actually, even though we talked about a few real things. So if you're interested, check it out. Apparently, I'm trying to deflect your attention from carnivorous image of eating a cat. So we should probably get back to that. I was saying that cats often symbolize the feminine. They can also symbolize the physical and the body. Because much more so than dogs, cats are in their body. They want to be comfortable. They want to sleep in the sunbeam. They want to lay on you. They want to get petted. They want to rub up against you. So I think that's another part of why my psyche chooses cats. I think it's about the feminine and the physical. Another way that cats are related to the feminine is that they used to be the familiars of witches, right? All witches had black cats. And so they're connected to that ancient feminine wisdom, whether that's positive or negative. So this dream is telling me that I am unwittingly causing some part of myself represented by the kitten, which is probably the feminine and the physical and the body. I'm somehow causing that to suffer without really knowing it. And I won't force you to listen to me psychologize about my deepest and darkest parts, but I'll tell you enough so that you understand why I'm interpreting the dream this way. I think I grew up in a very masculine way because I liked logic and science and reasons and rules. The religion that told me what was right and what was wrong and was very black and white. And that was all really comforting to me. And I was much more comfortable in that more masculine world of rules and logic and taking action and making a plan. And I think the last several years for me have been about developing more of my feminine side, the slower side that's more willing to just experience things without judging right away, to go at a slower pace, to more deeply notice, to focus more on connection. And so I think that partly the wounded cat that I've been eating symbolizes that damaged feminine part of my psyche. And as far as the cat representing the physical side I had cancer 20 years ago, and my body's never been quite the same since. I've always had one very weak leg with nerve damage. And over the past year, I've had to have a couple of surgeries and a new injury. So my relationship to the physical and the body and taking care of the body definitely hasn't been the best over the last year or so either. And the way I usually deal with unpleasant things like that is just to not really think about them or pay attention to them. And I think that's what this dream is saying I'm up on this big, tall rooftop, and it's dark, can't see very much around. So I've kind of sequestered myself up in my head. I'm taking care of this cold-blooded reptile rather than this warm, cute black kitten, which I actually end up causing to suffer because I've eaten part of it and it's having to drag itself around. Oh, and one of my more astute 
dream friends asked me which part of the kitten I had been eating. And surprisingly, I could remember that it was the back left leg, which my left leg is the one that I had cancer in. So even little details like that can show that your unconscious is really paying attention and sending you details that correlate with your waking life. I'll stop boring you with my own psychology, but I have paid attention to this dream and many others that are saying similar things, and I'm trying to address some of these things for myself. So, so I thought it might be interesting, since this is a podcast about my dream interpretation, to introduce you to the guy who got me into dreams. So I would like to introduce you to Benjamin Russack, licensed Marriage and family therapist. Yes. The man who got me interested in dreams. How did you do that, Ben? Um, it was an insidious attempt to take over your mind I and it worked. It was. <laughs> I think that's true. I gave you a couple books. I think I just got lucky, you know, because I've got I've tried to get other patients into it and they're like, No, this is bullshit. I'm not reading this crap. Yeah, I think it, it takes some fertile soil too as well. But uh but yeah, as I've probably already talked about, had a quick midlife crisis, needed a therapist, happened to find one who was the son of a union analyst and got me into dreams. Yeah, so son of Dr. Neil Russick, who was actually a doctor. <laughs> not me, like not like his son. So So what do you do when you have a former therapist who got you into dreams, you have him on your podcast with one of his own dreams. So Ben, what what are you going to tell us about today? One of the most powerful dreams I ever had was um, many years ago. It was of a, it was a frozen castle. Ooh. Was this before the movie Frozen? Yes, it was. <laughs> I was probably you, 25. You hadn't just watched the Disney princesses. Okay, good. And so this frozen castle was was hovering above, was floating above a molten lava, uh, like ocean, oh. and it was melting. Wow! Yeah, say no more, right? I mean, that is super archetypal, right? Yeah. Fire and ice. Yeah, <gasps> melting because I was mm-hmm. yeah. So I was because I'm I was I've always been kind of a shut shut down person mm-hmm. and i need the lava to kind of melt me a so little like, bit uh-huh. yeah and uh i'm also not grounded the castle's and grounded yeah there's not it's the not thinking connected. function is often oftentimes the thinking function is disconnected from the earth although in a way that was protective in this case right because if you were grounded then your castle would have already been gone i guess i guess what i mean to say well okay uh and and because dreams are very much not but but and because yes. all interpretations because we've noticed folks when you talk about dreams you almost always end up somewhere valuable mm-hmm. so it so there's no such thing as incorrect interpretation it's kind of like saying there's an incorrect way to to skip through the the park it's like everyone skips the park in just the right way so it's kind of a strange analogy but so the castle is floating I think that the idea that it's protected by not touching the thing is not as important as the fact that it's floating. Mm. The fact that it's frozen and floating mean it's it's frozen, it's stagnant, it's cold, and it's disconnected from the earth. And the idea of protection, I think, is not. I think it's more of a. That's more of a logical derivation of those images. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of times we'll we'll bring our own logical derivations to images that I don't think are that may be there, but they're not as important as the fundamental, fundamental thing, which is that there's a frozen floating castle. Well, and I think that what happens here too is that I offered something and it didn't really quite resonate with you as what was important in the yeah. dream. And so that's also something important because yeah. you say there's no wrong way to interpret a dream, which is true, but there are interpretations that resonate and ones that don't. So that yeah. was a good example of, yeah, that does that doesn't feel quite like it represents what dynamics were going on in you yeah. right now. But yeah. anyway, so, um, 
And then the dream before that, years before that, was I was on these um, rocky plains. It was like a, it looked like a, like like rock for as far as you can see, but like flat as puzzle pieces. And the, you could see the rock was like stuck together like puzzle pieces. Like it was just mm-hmm. as flat and as lifeless as you could possibly conceive of. Okay. And just hot and and just bluish white, pale white sky. But in the center of the sky, and we're talking no mountains, no birds. No trees, no nothing, just like fundamental nothingness was a shining, pulsing light, okay. like a star, but it was huge. It was like taking up the whole sky and it was just shining. It was just like pulsing with energy. And uh, those are the op- very much the opposites that have this, all this dead deadness and that there's this, like this is when I was much younger and I think that I was starting to come alive as a person, you know. Interesting. That, yeah. Was it that the light had killed everything below? No, it was no. that the light was the opposite of the, it was just, of the, it was the, the, the okay. like the castle is the opposite of the lava. So the that's light. why you're putting them together. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they're both, they're both about the growth of my care of who, of me. And I would say that one was kind of a precursor to the other. One of the things that bothers me sometimes about talking about dreams is that sometimes people think about the opposite of dream is reality, right? We can think that dream is something that's imaginary and that's unreal. And I don't like that juxtaposition. I think that as people listen, hopefully we're convincing them that dreams really do have real messages. And so as one of my guests, Ben, I'm going to ask you what's real. What's real in a dream? In anything, it's it's a very open-ended question. What's going on right now for you, or right what's real? What's real? Well, you know, for the the introvert, the primary importance of things is the inner world, and for the extrovert, it's the outer world. What's real? Well, I think human connection is real, mm. and I think being alive is real. Mm. But it kind of ends there. Those are the basics. I like it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you for uh, agreeing to be on my podcast since Anytime. I've been on yours a couple of times. Yes, now. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm hoping that you are racking up much more popularity than I am because, uh, I don't know, because I'd rather ride your coattails because uh-uh. it's simpler. Well, thanks for getting me started on dreams in the first place. It of was course. a big deal. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks, Ben. And that's the show for this week. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into masculine versus feminine imagery in dreams and how it gives us more information about the psyche. I'm always looking for more people willing to come on and discuss a dream with me. So head on over to my website at stuffofdreams.fireside.fm and send me a dream. You can also find show notes and links there. Thanks so much for listening. And again, if you liked it, please tell somebody else about it. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now. And I hope you dream tonight.